Philanthropy Is. Good afternoon, everyone. We are sitting here on Philanthropy Is, the place that we are celebrating and recognizing people doing great work, great service work in the community. Whether you're a company organization, nonprofit organization, or someone with just a big heart. So today, what we have joining me, my name is Marissa Hall. I have my partner in crime, Tiffany Rochelle. Hey. And I have a special guest who I am honored to speak with, who's also a dear friend to me, and that is Mr. Kevin Nichols. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. And if, you, and if you don't know Kevin Nichols, he is the Mr. Social Network in the Bay Area. And not only is he a social network, he has been featured on LinkedIn's Hall of Fame, Yahoo's blog, In the Examiner, CNN Money, Reuters, Market Watch, and the Wall Street Journal. So, and now he is the founder of the Social Engineering Project. So, Kevin, you've been doing a lot in this community, and everybody knows you. So if they don't know you, now they're going to know you now. <laughs> if yeah. they don't know you then, they're going to know you now. So I just want you to kind of share, uh, share with us your world. Bring us into your world today. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, how do you define philanthropy? I define philanthropy in a very general, basic definition. And I think it's surrounded by anyone doing something out of the kindness of their heart for someone in need. So that's pretty basic. Uh, however, I think it could motivate and inspire a lot of people to become philanthropists or get involved in philanthropy. Okay, um, definitely this is Tiffany here. Thank you, Kevin, um, for being here with us today. So I like to get to the roots and to the basis of stuff. So you've told us that philanthropy is anyone wanting to help someone or, or, or you know, better somebody's situation. How did that start for you? How, where did you get your philanthropic heart? Where did you get that messaging from first? I actually got it in fourth grade. Um, when I ran for school treasurer, and uh, that's when I decided that I wanted to be the first black president of the United States. Okay, now, so really Barack beat you to it, but... I don't really need to do that anymore. However, uh, that was my long-term goal, um, and so I guess all throughout my life, I kind of lived my life under that lens of that people were watching, but also I, I developed a sense of wanting to give back. Uh, and all the way up until high school, I think, a mentor of mine, Mr. Maurice Harper, who basically took me under his wing and showed me through example what philanthropy really was, how I got it. Okay, so that was going to be my next question is what, what was modeled around you that you saw? And so Mr. Maurice Harper, who, who was he? He was a counselor at my high school. And since I have older brothers, um, I went to all-male high school, St. Mary's College High School in Berkeley. Shout out to the school, home of Ryan Coogler, you know, Wakanda forever. But, as <laughs> I said, um, but, but Mr. Harper was there. He was their counselor. So they're 10 and 12 years older than me. me. By the time I got to school, he knew he was looking out for me. He took me under my wing and basically pretty much raised me because I didn't have a plugged-in father. 
um, in my life. So he kind of filled that void for me growing up. Okay, that's, um, that's definitely one of the things that is important is to have strong male role models for our young black men in the communities. And so you're definitely a prime example of what happens when, when, a, when someone takes interest and mentors uh, uh, a um, smart mind and moving forward. So your group is called KLN Consulting Group. Now, what, what, what exactly does your consulting group do? Because I, I see that it, it's, it's in the Bay Area and you're working in the legal community. So are you a, an attorney? What does your work entail? Well, my work used to entail, I don't, I don't do a whole bunch of consulting anymore. I run uh, the social engineering project full time right now. But um, it did come from my work as a litigation paralegal uh, many, many years ago, law firms. I came in wanting to do civil rights work and thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So after uh, a couple of years and a couple of trials um, working at a big law firm, I decided that I never wanted to practice law. <laughs> but what I learned from that experience was that my network that I was developing in the legal industry um, could carry me in different directions that I had no clue where. So one minute I'm working with the first and second year associate, the next minute they get picked off by a tech company and they become senior counsel or general counsel of a, a, a tech company. So until I figured out what I wanted to do with my life, I figured that if I made strong relationships in the legal industry, it could open up some doors for me uh, somewhere in life. So I ended up going into the technology side of the legal practice. Uh, I, I specialize in, in a technology called electronic discovery or e-discovery, which allowed me to kind of stay in the tech side of business, but also um, network in the legal industry. So how did you start um, the social engineering project? So did you see that there was a need for the kids, minorities? I wish I had some real philanthropic way to describe how that organization started. Um, it actually started this organization uh, passively. About six years ago, my business partner, who happened to go to St. Mary's with me, Dr. Brian Brown, is a professor at, at Stanford University. And he basically teaches teachers how to teach science education to black and brown students. And um, so about six years ago, he wrote a grant and got some historically black colleges and university students to Stanford and taught them uh, math, science, chemistry, and physics curriculum for middle school students. And he needed someone to, well, well let me finish that thought. Those students were learning the curriculum he designed that he wanted to research. And then their goal was to, as a final, so to speak, run a week-long summer camp for fifth and sixth grade students at Stanford. He did the curriculum and the students. He needed students to participate. I had a big network and he said, Kevin, I need 50 students to do a science camp at Stanford. I said, done. That's a no-brainer. I got that. And uh, so for the first two years, my role prep pretty much was just getting students there. The third year when the grant ran out, uh, 
I wanted to keep doing the camp. I thought it was a great idea. So we thought that tech companies and anybody basically would want to invest in a program like this. However, we were wrong because nobody invested in it the third year. We didn't have a camp that third year. So the fourth year, I decided to take what I was doing with Kalen Consulting Group, which was basically selling e-discovery technology to tech companies. I said, instead of selling a product that I could care less about, why not sell these programs to the same people? So I started, picked up the phone, called a buddy of mine from Google, asked him to invest in our program. And the amount that I asked for, he said yes, without a, a blink. So I kind of realized that I probably didn't put enough zeros on that request and that I would need to get a lot better at asking for what I needed. Nonetheless, Google became one of our first investors and the fourth year we had the science camp. Since then, well, actually the social engineering project only came to life because Google said, who do we write the checkout to? And I said, it's not gonna be me, right? <laughs> and so I came up with, you know, when I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, there's a quote by a famous lawyer, his name is Charles Hamilton Houston, who basically laid down the groundwork for the Brown versus Board of Education cases. And Charles Houston said that a lawyer is either a social engineer or a parasite on society. So what I decided was, although I wasn't a lawyer, it didn't really matter. You're either a part of the problem or you're part of the solution. So I was going to engineer a new future for young black and brown students. I was going to get them to get them to college and I was going to get them to be able to major in a STEM, STEM related career. By, equipping them with the tools that they need to succeed. So they need to get past math 1A, chemistry 1A, and physics 1A. So in order to do that, they have to develop a love, a deep love for math, science, and engineering at a young age. So we've started doing programs that from middle school, I incorporated my overnight camping conference for high school students. I take about 120 kids camping and I have tech companies come up to the mountains to teach them what they do for a living. And then now I, I've incorporated, I do a global hackathon with the United Nations and we, we compete with companies, with countries all over the world and, um, and represent our country uh, in Silicon Valley. So we're going to do that again next year in, in Google, at Google and um, just a lot of fun and exciting things that are happening. That's pretty amazing. And it seems like you've covered a lot of ground in a relatively short period of time. So if you, you gave us the year one, two, three, four. So what year are you in overall in your programming and work? We are going into our third year. So we, uh, we incorporated, uh, we fought our paperwork and stuff uh, in January. Ironically, the first law firm that I worked at is actually my law firm now. So they represent me and set our company <laughs> up. Keep and, it in the family. Yes, and they've, uh, you know, we were started off as a benefit corporation because at the time I didn't have the resources to create a nonprofit organization that did not check from Google. But since then, we've converted to a, a nonprofit. We're waiting for tax ID later, letter, and we're ready to take things to the next level. We're looking at expanding the programs that we're doing, moving to other. Angeles as well as the school program for our students. Um, so one of the questions I know our, our listeners will probably want to know because this like your your growth sounds phenomenal. And I think in a lot of ways uncommon. So 
what what were you say what would you say were some of the 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 things that you learned first not to do and then one of the things that you would suggest anybody who's going into the philanthropic nonprofit service sector for them to do well i'll tell you this it's really all about branding it's all about branding because what i've just told you was a fancy story <laughs> what reality is is brian though and i went to high school together I called up a buddy that I knew that worked at a company who liked what I was doing and said that they would make their arrangements to invest in what we're doing. That's how we got started. Now I can say, oh, well, Stanford and Google, but the bottom line is it was very basic. And uh, so sometimes people get caught up in what the brand sounds like and that stops them from being able to do what it is they want to do. Mm-hmm. However, if they look at it from a basic perspective, they can accomplish and achieve a whole lot. Now the global hackathon that we do, I, I, I got into a, an executive program at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. And one of my classmates is a, has a STEM organization in South Africa. He called me two weeks. my place now, I need to talk about that. <laughs> he called me two weeks ahead of time and said, we're coming to Silicon Valley and there's no United States team. He says, uh, she said, can you get the United States team for us? This was earlier this year. I said, sure, when's the hackathon? Oh, a week and a half. I was like, what? Right? <laughs> but I was able to get it. So we represent the United States this year for a global hackathon. We competed against Bolivia, Indonesia, and I think New Zealand for uh, this hackathon to stop human trafficking and cyber theft. So we were able to do that from going to a program, meeting somebody that I know who had to ask that I could fulfill. So it's not really complicated. It's really about networking, being at the right place at the right time, and being able to answer yes when people ask. That's powerful. Marissa, I know Marissa has some more questions for you, but that's beautiful and, and basic. And it's, it, it helps to kind of demystify the work um, because, of course, you know, when people hear Google or they hear Stanford, then it's like, oh, my God, I don't have that. I don't know people over there. So thank you for making that clear. But it's also this. Back in the day, I mean, like I said, I got my, the business card of my mom's OBGYN when I was born. Back in the day, I was getting I was networking on paper. There's no excuse now. There's LinkedIn. You can see who everybody knows. You can see who, who can introduce you to the person who you need to know to open the door that I'm talking about. But the question is, would they be willing to open the door for you? What are you doing in your life? How are you showing up? How are you representing? What is your brand such that when somebody calls and says, can I meet the CEO of X? that they're willing to expunge their political capital or their personal branding capital to facilitate that introduction for you. That's what people need to empower themselves with right now. So when people hear my name, it's like, oh, that guy, Kevin, man, you know, if he needs something, he'll email first, he'll give me a couple of days, then he'll pick up the phone. I. I know I should respond quickly because I'm going to see him. I'm going to bump into him somewhere. And then I don't, it's going to be uncomfortable because he's going to ask me what he's been asking. So like I train my network to say, look, no is an acceptable answer. I just like to get my nose up front quickly. 
So if you can't help, no problem. No hard feelings. I'll keep it moving. But a, 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 a no response, I'm at least entitled to a response as a human being. And I think that that's how people train their network and, and are able to leverage their network to be able to do things they want to do with it. Well, thank you, Kevin, because it sounds like, to me, what you're saying is networking is key. And just going back to LinkedIn, you, it shows on your bio that you're a LinkedIn Hall of Fame. So how do you get in that for those couple of years? So, um, so first and foremost, I have two of the oldest groups on LinkedIn. So when LinkedIn started their groups, I started the San Francisco, the downtown San Francisco networking group, which is predominantly, you know, white and Asian folks in San Francisco that work downtown that are the majority of the people that are in that group. And then I have the, Af I have the black barrier, black professionals group on LinkedIn. And so that's obviously, you know, more black focused, et cetera. But I, I network in both arenas and about, I'd say around 2008 or nine, when the economy tanked, I had a, a networking group, a once a month networking event called the Morning Cup of Java. And uh, a lot of people were coming and expressing that they had gotten laid off. They'd gone on, I'd say four or five interviews at the same company, but weren't getting job offers. So uh, I felt like there was something missing. You know, the resumes of people were, must've been really good. They just weren't, I don't know if they liked interviewing skills. They didn't know how to network within the company to have advocates and allies and et cetera. They're rooting for them in there or what? So I said that I wanted to put together a conference that kind of dealt with these, these issues to give them a leg up on these interviews, right? So I, I posted this on my LinkedIn and, and Facebook, et cetera. One of my good friends, who I always give uh, acknowledgement for this story, Janine Mixon here in the Bay Area. She's actually on the board of directors of my organization now, by the way. And Janine saw my post and said, well, I'm the dean of students at Golden Gate University. You will host your conference. You can have it here and we'll sponsor it. And I was contacted by LinkedIn moments later when I announced that I was doing this conference. And they said, you know, we, we heard that you're going to use our website to kind of put together a conference for job seekers. Would you like to write a, a blog post about it? And, you know, this is 2009, 2008. So LinkedIn really, people weren't really using LinkedIn a lot, you know. So I was like, uh, okay, sure, why not, right? Then realizing that they only had one person in their marketing department, they were like, well, you know, CNN Money called and they want to talk to someone about our site. We don't have the bandwidth to kind of deal with these kinds of issues. Would you be willing to do an interview with them? I'm like, <laughs> so before you know it, I was getting calls from all kind of outlets talking about LinkedIn, how to use it, etc. And so they did, they, they never paid me, but it was a situation where they were, we, it was a symbiotic relationship. They used me, I used them. They wrote articles uh, featuring, you know, their top 25 users. I was featured there. Um, President Obama came to the Bay Area to announce his job bill. I was invited, was in the front row, met President Obama uh, in Silicon Valley when he was there. And then as the big final thank you, they asked me to come to their headquarters and take a, have a photo shoot and they featured me on the home homepage 
for the login screen. So from 2011 to 2014, you saw either myself or three other people every time you put your username and password. So about 200 to 250 million people may have seen me when they logged in. So that was a, a big thank you. So because of that, I go around the country talking about LinkedIn, how to use it, how to network, and I'm able to leverage these experiences and these interviews and these quotes to be able to do what I do. That is amazing. Like people, I know, I think we're all kind of in the same generation. I always, I'm always um, clarifying that because there's a difference. There, there are differences in, in the different generations, the way that we interact or we were trained to interact and what we've been comfortable interacting with. And I know I, I, I might have to hire you for a LinkedIn tutorial after we get off of this, this interview. Um, but the one thing that is, is consistent is that, that, I, that I hear from you is consistency follow through and showing up simply showing up makes seems to have made a huge difference in your in your presence and in your organization would you agree or disagree i agree wholeheartedly i believe that everyone at, at this moment in time can decide who they want to be okay. now that's a, a very broad way of looking at it but sometimes people can create false impressions of themselves you know You'll see on social media that everybody's happy and blissful and they're traveling, like I think Drake says in one of his songs, taking pictures on their vacation to use later so that they can, you know, show that they're still on the go, you know. But at the same time, you have a chance to really be also authentic. So if you want to be known for certain things, you can put that out there, but you have to follow through and deliver. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the key part of people taking ownership of who they are, who they want to be, and what happens when you say their name. You know, for, for me, I hope, I mean, I don't know what, how everyone feels about the work I do or who I am, et cetera, but when I'm out networking and I meet someone new and I say I'm Kevin Nichols, I always say my name. I leave the L out, but then in high school, I was Kevin Lamont Nichols. So people that know me from high school, they'll say my whole name and I'm like, Oh, you know, but, um, <laughs> but, but now, you know, uh, I, I'm just Kevin Nichols or, or, you know, when I say my name, I'm Kevin Nichols. But when people hear it, they're like, wow, I know you, you send a lot of email messages on YBSF or, oh, I see your posts on LinkedIn or, oh, blah, blah, I see you doing things positive. Oh, you just, uh, you know, got an award or, oh, you, you know, you just got married. Congratulations. You know, so it's like people that I may not know, know me. And I have to, as much as possible, control what they know and make sure that it's consistent with what I want them to know. You have to protect your, you have to protect and build your image and your brand and make sure that they're both in alignment. And we see in media when people's personal self doesn't align with their branding self. And then it seems like everything kind of blows up. <laughs> so uh, Marissa, did uh did you have i thought you had a question about what he was saying if not i have a i have a different one. Oh no i'm just i disagree with you like having your his name is his brand and when you do say kevin nixon in the community everyone does listen he has a positive positive image so i respect him for that and i do want to say congratulations kevin 
because you did win the community award this past weekend from 100 Black Men. So I just want to say congratulations. And how did you feel about winning that award because your work is being recognized in the community? You know, it's fascinating because, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, you do work and you don't do it to receive, you know, acknowledgement, you know, so it's kind of a weird feeling for me to be recognized because it's not the motivation of why I do what I do, but it does feel good for your peers or your colleagues or people that know you, see what you're doing and want to acknowledge you, you know, and part of it too is weird for me because I work on like political campaigns and I, and I'm behind the scenes a lot trying to make things happen. I don't need, I don't do what I do for recognition or notoriety. I try to, you'll see things that I post and it's very strategic. It's for a reason to help boost whatever it is that I'm doing. But on the other hand, I do a lot of things behind the scenes. So to be pulled out from the, the shadows uh, and, and, and acknowledged is kind of weird, but I love it. Uh, it was a great evening for us uh, to be recognized in that way. And uh, especially because, you know, being a hundred black men and what they stand for and what they do in the community, it's nice to have an organization like that recognize the work that I do. So Kevin, what is your advice to those of us who are doing great work, but do struggle with the coming out from behind the scenes? or being in a space because in this day and age and I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say that's a struggle for me because I, I we we came up in that kind of keep it quiet you don't talk about what you do error but also when you're deep in the work it's 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 hard to think about branding and marketing so it's like you really got to have somebody else who will do it who, who will come who, who will come along and help you with it but I also know for me specifically, because I do a lot of work in South Africa and because I work with impoverished and underprivileged communities, I'm very sensitive about pushing poverty porn. So there's things that I won't post because I don't want to contribute, contribute to an unnecessarily negative um, narrative. So how do, you, how do you suggest people balance that coming from behind the scenes so that they can get um, attention to their, to their um, causes and to the work that they do? Well, first and foremost, what I would say is, if it's not you, then who? If you're not going to be your advocate, you're not going to be the person who is uplifting the work that you're doing, then how are you going to expect someone else to do it? And so for me, I recognize that no one's going to sell my, pro, my, my programs, my organization, et cetera, better than me because no one's going to be more passionate than the work, in the work that I'm doing than me. However, if everything that you do relied only on you, then you will definitely fail and you will not succeed. So it's really about evangelizing, galvanizing people to be your mouthpiece for you. So for example, you know, Marissa has said when I see people say my name, I don't know what she hears when she says my name and I'm not around. So, you know, I, that's good. I don't know how that goes. But at the same time, what I can do is highlight the work that I do, get people not so much in love with me, but in love with the work. You have to be able to get people passionate about the work that you do. 
And then that's how you get people to carry the torch for you when you get bogged down in the work that you know that things are still being accomplished, that you've evangelized people such that they're out there, they have marching orders, they're committed, and they do what it is that you need. I had to step outside of myself and say, look, I need a board of directors. I need an advisory board. I need these people to kind of carry the torch of this organization because if it falls on me, I can't do everything. What I can do is invest the time, sweat equity, and energy to set up the mechanisms to be able to allow people to do what they do. I create the proposal and, and the vision of the organization and give it to them and empower them to say, look, this is your guide. You can use this to fall back on if you're having conversations about our organization, you want to know about the, the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty about our programming, who we serve, where, et cetera, why. I'll empower you with those things. But now that you have it, you don't need me. You know, go off and do what you do. And that's how you are able to have people out there advocating for you, finding out if there's a grant, finding out if there's an award that's, that it's, they're looking for someone to honor and they find you. Well, that's how you take advantage of opportunities. You know, I'm starting philanthropy is, and we're highlighting people. I want you to be a guest. That's how you are able to take that opportunity and leverage it. And hopefully people can hear and learn about what we're talking about and apply that into whatever it is they're trying to do. Makes sense. And that's very powerful. And I hope that <clears throat> those, of, uh, those who are listening to this program get that and that it helps them. Um, I know it's helping me. I, I've been doing what I'm doing for a long time, but I also believe that no matter how long you've been doing what you're doing, it's, in, it's, it's imperative to remain a student. And so to always be able to glean information and tips and tools and guidance from anywhere, from any resource. So again, I hope that our li listeners take what you're saying to heart and get into the advocacy for themselves and for their programs. And, and one other thing that I would add, and I learned a lot about this in my, my graduate program that I did, how important the power of story is. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have a story and to be able to articulate it can also galvanize a lot of support and energy in around what you're doing. So when you hear about the founding of this organization, you know, it's, you know, I can present it in a glitz and glamour way. But that's not how it is, really. <laughs> I can pr present it in the way that it is. It's two men out there seeing their community, wanting to make a difference, and using their skills to do that. Brian is a, a, probably one of the world-renowned leaders in STEM education right now in the work that he's doing. And that's his lane. I know how to hire people. I know how to operate, I know how to run things, I know how to get things done, I know how to raise money, I know how to convince people to invest in things. So that's why I run this part of the organization. This is what I do. And it's really about understanding what you do well and then allowing people that that's their lane, run with it. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you, Kevin. Thank you so much. So my question is, what could we expect next from Mr. Kevin Nichols in 2019? Well, I've had a pretty great 2018. 
<laughs> and, uh, I mean, every year of my life has gotten better. I honestly can say, but uh, well, I'm not say every year, but most years were better. But this year, I don't know. How I'm gonna outdo next year. But what I will say is this: I have a lot of projects that I'm working on, um, but I'm also looking at maximizing my impact. So one of my mentors told me this. He said, Kevin, you can continue the work. You can raise three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, even a million dollars at tackling, you know, the diversity problem that you're working on. Affect 300, 400 kids. Or you could go in and run a company's social impact or be the head of their diversity initiatives and use their money, millions of dollars, to make an impact across the country, across the world. So what's next for you? And so I was like, you know, no pressure or anything, you know, but (laughs) kind of minimize a little bit of where I was, what I'm doing but uh, pose a bit of a challenge. So right now I'm just looking at ways to increase the impact, you know, increase what we're doing. I almost feel like I'm comfortable enough with my organization where I'm ready to look for an executive director and have them take the torch and run with what, what I've built and go on and see what else is out there. But I know the work's not done either. So, um, but I, I would like to see my organization expand to different chapters of different cities throughout the country. I would like to see um, us having more of an impact. I think there's enough in the space where I'm at where there's room. A lot of organizations are going towards coding and software and trying to get kids into that area. And I feel that that's a great space to be. However, the space we want to be in is we want kids to be set up well to go to college and to go to college. And so not only because of the, the subject matters that they have to master, but the networking that takes place in college, you know, and um, how those relationships will pan out later on. You know, you may go to school with the next CEO of the next Facebook or Google or whatever, and um, you're probably not going to meet them on the street. So you, you have to be where they are. And um, so we're trying to set our kids up to go to college and, and, and encourage them to be able to have more options in their career pathways. So that's what I hope to get accomplished in the next year. You know, expand, take things to the next level, increase my impact. Great. That actually answered the question that I had for you. So with that and us seeing where you're going, we want to thank you for taking your time to come and share with us what you're doing. Um, how can people get in touch with you? How can we find you? So my nickname is the social engineer. So you can always Google that. You'll find me, but our website is www.thesocialengineer.org. O-R-G. Um, that's where our website is. I have a number of, websites uh, but you can basically find me on linkedin kevin l nichols and uh and in your request if you connect with me tell me why you want to connect that makes it a lot easier for me (laughs) 
And um, yes, my phone number, everything that's all on the website. Easy way to get a hold of me. Well, thank, you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. And you guys have a great day and keep doing what you're doing. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.